Welcome to Setsing. Hello, Vishrant. Can you please talk about what to look for in a spiritual teacher? The first thing is the teacher needs to be awake. There is no point being with someone who is not awake. They can't take you home because they don't know the way themselves. This is the first thing to look for in a spiritual teacher is are they awake? And are they awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Or are they flip-floppers? In other words, are they someone who is has continuous Buddha field because awareness is continuously on itself or are they someone who's still self-inquiring still practicing and so they can find that place but only through self-inquiry someone who's awake doesn't self-inquire they're awake it's simple The other thing that's important in seeking out uh, a spiritual teacher is are they actually walking their talk? Are they living what they're teaching? And the only way you can really find that out is to watch them, to see, to live with them, to see what they're like, to see if they're walking their talk, to see if they're awake, to see if they're surrendered, to see if they have that Buddha field that is always, always around someone who's awake, that beautiful energy field that allows the mind to quieten down, allows it to expand, opens the heart. And so in looking for a spiritual teacher, I was fortunate enough to find Osho Rajneesh. He was called Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh when I ran into him. And he was definitely awake. He had a lovely Buddha field. And there was an absence, an obvious absence. Fortunately, today, we have technology that allows us to be in touch with awake people all over the world. And so we don't have to go and climb on a plane and go to another country to be with someone who's awake. We can actually be with them online because that saying is now held online. This is a pretty good deal. When I was a seeker, I had to go and live in India and America to be with people who are awake. It's easier today. Are there any questions?
any statements, any challenges to this teaching today. The first question, do you think that some enlightened people have a stronger Buddha field than others? And why, if so? I would say that's probably true. As to why, I don't know. The next question is, should we look at a teacher's personality when choosing a spiritual teacher? That's a hard question because if you don't get along with your spiritual teacher because their personality is a little difficult for you, it gives you more opportunity to learn surrender through the practice of acceptance. And so I don't see a problem being with someone who you may clash with because it could be just what you need. Does a spiritual teacher have to be loving and caring? No, they just have to be awake. You see, the Buddha field that is produced around someone who has awareness on awareness, awareness on beingness, is enough. It is a transmission. For someone who's ready, it is enough. The transmission of the lamp occurs. But then we've got to look at, well, what does ready mean? And from my understanding, for someone to be ready for enlightened, enlightenment, they need to be able to surrender. And that's something that the ego can't do because it's not a doing, it's a non-doing. A surrendered mind or a mind that is equanimous, will support enlightenment. A mind that is constantly resisting life, constantly at war with life, is not going to support enlightenment. And so the spiritual aspirant, if there is work to be done, it is to create a mind that will support higher consciousness. That does take a fair bit of effort because none of us were programmed for higher consciousness. We're all programmed for lower consciousness. The next question is from Satya. Hello, Satya. Hello, Isran. How are you? Lovely, Sasha. <laughs> Isran, I would like to ask you one question. What is the importance of a spiritual teacher in a seeker's life? Well, I can only really refer back to my own life 
And if there hadn't been a spiritual teacher like Osho, who initiated me into spirituality, germinated the seed of consciousness in me, I do not believe that I would be awake today. And so I consider it of the utmost importance. Thank you, Uchan. Thank you, Satya. The next question is from Neil. Hello. Hello, Vishal. Uh, so is it enough to attend these satsangs virtually and to see your master virtually, or is it important to be in the physical presence of your master? Okay, that's a good question. You see, someone who's awake will take you apart if you give them the chance to. Because how you are when you come is you have a lot of obstacles that are in the way. And so in engaging someone who is awake, they have every intention of helping you become free. But that means helping you let go of the problems and the obstacles that are in the way. And so satsang with someone who's awake is a destructive process. It's an undoing process. It's not a doing up process. It's not a gaining anything process. It's an undoing process. And so you come online with someone who's awake and you've put yourself in the firing line in a way. And this is the problem with people who are, have been awake, teachers who have been awake. They can't do this because they're no longer in the body. They've left the body. Being around someone who's awake would probably be the most dangerous thing an ego could possibly do because it's not the ego that wakes up. I remember my teacher Osho would say, I'm not your dear old uncle. I'm here to murder you. And he was talking about the murdering of the false one because we are not the ego. We are that that is pure consciousness, pure awareness, that is purely aware and is always here. But for that one to discover itself, the false one has to learn to get out of the way. And so you come around here and you're in trouble. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, last time you told me to learn to surrender. And when I thought about it, I, I realized that my, my defenses are really high because Previously, when I, whenever I tried to be open and just be myself, I've got hurt pretty bad from people. So to protect myself, I, I just keep a defense around myself all the time. I understand. So I took all my defenses down so people could hurt me because I knew that all those defenses were in the way of my heart, perceiving my heart, and I knew all of those defenses were in the way of kind consciousness all of them any defense system you have is in the way it's an obstacle now for you to take them down means you have to become willing to feel pain because you will you have to be willing to be touched you will you will get touched by life and that's how it is 
or you can stay defended and closed and not raise your consciousness levels. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that pain, it, it, sometimes it lasted for a very long time and it, it affected my work and life. So that's why it scares me. Yeah, but the deal's really simple. If you don't allow yourself to feel what's there, first of all, you can't heal the wounding what's there. And secondly, you're too close to probably perceive love. You see, any defense system we have is in the way of our perception of love. It's also in the way of enlightenment. You can't wake up while you're closed. That doesn't happen. If, you, if you've had any experience with awake teachers, one thing they all have in common is they're wide open. All of them, they're wide open. There's a reason for that. They were wide open before awakening Otherwise, they wouldn't have woken up. Right. And uh, I've got one more question. Uh, there are times when I feel completely, when everything feels kind of meaningless, uh, my work, and even the things that I do for entertainment, watching movies or listening, everything seems meaningless. Uh, so I experience this sometimes. So is it normal to experience this kind of, have, have this kind of feeling? Well, you're experiencing a certain level of, level of reality because we think there's meaning, but what meaning, really? What is the meaning of life, really? What is the purpose of life, really? I mean, it's just a survival number. We get born, we suffer a lot, and then we die. This is the human being. <laughs> and we live in hope that somehow it'll be better later, which is a dream. The human condition is, in a lot of ways, an uncomfortable condition because we're constantly wanting things to be different than how they are, and we get attached to what we have and get fearful of losing it. And so the way out of this is higher consciousness and then enlightenment. That's the only way out of this prison. There is no other way. And so... You've been invited here to talk because you're interested in freedom and I'm interested in helping you find freedom by pointing the way. I can't make you free. If I could, I would, but I can point the way. If you tune in, your mind will start expanding. You'll start feeling some peace, but really, What's aware of your mind? What's aware of the peace? Who are you really? This is the question. Right. And next time when I get the sense of emptiness, is there something that I could do instantly to snap out of it? Well, you're wanting to get out of what is real. You, 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 what you're experiencing is a level of reality. There is no purpose in life that I've found. I've been looking since I was a kid. I can't find a purpose in life, just life itself, maybe. But as an ego, we want to have purpose. We want to have meaning, but that's an ego trip. It's not a reality. Hmm. Right. And so I think that all seekers at some point feel that, lack of purpose, that lack of meaning, because they're coming across reality. Hmm. Right. 
we've been programmed to believe that we have purpose. We've been programmed to believe we're going to get somewhere, but it's not true. Have a look. What is the real purpose of life? What is the real meaning of life? I haven't been able to discover it yet. Life is just life. Yeah, and, and sometimes this feeling scares me because right now I'm in my 20s and I should be ambitious and aiming for great things, but I feel meaninglessness in 20s. So, so what I did is I looked at my life and I thought, well, life is pretty meaningless. It's pretty pointless. I can't kill myself because that's karmically really bad. What can I do to have a lovely life? And so I chose the way of the heart, which is a way of service to, in my case, to others, the human beings. But the way of the heart is a very beautiful way to live. There may be no purpose to life, but there is a beautiful way to live life. And that's up to you. You're the one that's going to create uh, your reality with the way you think and with the way you act in the world. And so I chose, I actively chose to live the way of the heart. And it made me feel good. All right. Uh, all right. So that's it. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. Next, Susha has a question. Hello, Susha. Hi, Vishrant. So, Vishrant, what should a seeker do to facilitate the transmission of the lamp? So, the seeker is ready when the seeker is empty. People come to the teacher too full. They come with their understandings, their knowledge. You have to come empty. And when you come empty, you are ready. You come as a nobody, as a nothing. And in that, there is no resistance. Then the transmission can happen quite easily. No wanting, nothing, nothing, nothing. So the expansion we feel sitting in your Buddha field and find beingness, is that the transmission of the lamp? Yes, it is. That is the transmission of the lamp. The best analogy that I can come up with that makes it sound reasonable is you've decided to go up in a hot air balloon which has a flame under a big balloon and you're in the basket. But the balloon isn't going up and so you start throwing things out of the balloon to take the weight out of the balloon. And as you throw things up, the balloon starts going up and you recognize that it's slowing down again, it's stopping. So you take your clothes off and you throw them off. You take everything that's inside the balloon basket, you throw it out. And then you realize that there's still too much weight in the balloon. So you throw out all your ideas, all your belief systems, 
and you find there's still too much weight, the balloon is not going high. So then you throw yourself out. You don't make it to enlightenment. The eye doesn't wake up. It is the obstacle. Yes. You give everything to truth and keep nothing for yourself. This is the only deal and the best deal. There is no other deal. Thank you, Ashrat. Thank you. Thank you, Susha. The following question has been written by Sarah. If pain or emotion arises as a result of thought, should I sit and feel it or let it go? Why would you want to hold on to it? Why would you want to let it go? Why don't you just do nothing? If it arises, just do nothing. It's there, it's there, it's okay. The problem is we keep repressing. We keep trying to understand so we can control it. Don't do anything, do nothing. Just let it be there. If you really watch your own actions, you'll find that even trying to understand it is you in some way trying to get away from it. Just let it be there. Do nothing. It's okay. Everything is okay. The next question has been written by Beck. For years, I listened to you speaking highly of Osho. I listened to Osho so much online but I couldn't feel the Buddha field at all. I had a very deep meditation lately and I actually felt Osho. I wasn't trying to bring him in. My mind kept trying to rationalize and explain this. I'm letting this go now. Can you please expand on this as I've not felt that presence since that presence since. The presence is always here. Whether you can perceive it or not is up to you. It's your closures will stop it. But the presence is always here. Osho left the legacy, and that legacy was his awake sannyasins. There is living Buddhas on the planet. 
as a result of his teachings, as a result of his transmissions. His legacy is alive and transmitting now. The next question has been written by Jennifer. I once had a teacher. Over time, I was put off because of the high cost of programs, Sangha politics, and a deep sense this isn't it. I miss the guidance, but can't change the strong, repelled feeling. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I had the same feelings when I was around spiritual groups. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, you get into the holy and thou crowd and it can be quite expensive to play the game. It's best to find yourself someone who's local if you can, someone who's awake, someone who you can visit and say hello to, someone who will talk to you. Unfortunately, a lot of the well-known awake teachers, you can't go anywhere near them. And they're traveling constantly, so it would cost you a fortune to keep up with them. I was very lucky in that I was with Osho for a long time and I could sit with him every day. And it wasn't that expensive. The trip was tra traveling to America or traveling to India and living there without an income. That was the trip. Groups do tend to cost a lot of money. It's just the way it is. You've got to work out what's worthwhile in life. And for me, it was raising my consciousness levels. And my understanding was the best way to do that was around someone who was awake. And so I sought him out. And I was the guy who always had my hand up asking the questions. I was the guy that wanted to sit as close as possible. I was the one who was in love with truth. It's that love affair that brings you home. You give everything to that love affair. Your mind falls in love with the beloved. The beloved is beingness. You support that love affair totally. And you as an I will die in that love affair and find yourself as truth. The next question has been written by Ritu. How does one empty themselves and remain empty? Uh -huh. Yeah, you'll be surprised how full you are, Ritu. <laughs> I played a game called the game of openness. Sometimes I called it the game of zero. And that was that when I was really, really relaxed, when my mind was really, really at ease, not contracted, not resisting, I called that zero. And anything above zero, I saw as a problem. 
And so any time that I contracted or any time I went into resistance and went above zero, I looked at, well, what belief systems were supporting that contraction? What belief systems were supporting that resistance? And I would undo those belief systems until there was nothing left. And so I was emptying out all of the things that created obstacles in my life to love and to higher consciousness. I was undoing all the belief systems. And this is the way. Undo everything until there's nothing left, until you're empty. If you're still full of stuff, you're still full of belief systems that you haven't undone yet. And only you can undo them. Nobody can do it for you. The next question is from Kalimba. Hi, Vishrant. Hello, Kalimba. Um, I find that when I'm in satsang with you, I just get into this really lovely space where I'm open, I'm aware, I'm in the moment. And yet, sadly, within about half an hour when I'm out in the car, out in the world, doing my thing, I start picking myself up on going back into unconscious stuff. And it's like, I'll notice it and I can drop it for a minute or two, but then I'm back. What I'm looking for is a kind of spiritual bark collar. So when you go unconscious, you get an electric shock that brings you back into the moment. I mean, that's, that's just a silly statement, but can you give us any pointers on how to get back into the present moment in the real world without beating myself up? So you've got to look at what's important to you, really. It's like what was important to me wasn't winning the argument, it was being open. If I could stay in the argument with life and stay open, that was okay. But if I closed in any way, shape or form while in that argument, then there was a problem. Then I wanted to have a look and see what was going on. And so I made openness really important because I felt that openness was the way to higher consciousness. And it actually is. But we keep closing and we keep supporting that closure. You have a look at what you support. Are you supporting openness or are you supporting closure? From my perspective, openness counts for everything. In the beginning, uh, in the practice of openness, I had a fair bit of trouble um, confronting the world because I found that when I confronted the world, I used to close. But after a while, after practice, I've managed to stay open while confronting the world. But that was because of practice. It wasn't because of anything else. There was no quick fix. It's, you know, you want to learn how to play tennis, you've got to practice tennis. You can't just watch a game on telly and think that you got it. And so I practiced openness and I practiced it every opportunity I could. And because I was involved with people I didn't necessarily get along with, I had a lot of practice. I'm sure you're involved with lots of people you don't get along with. 
What a golden opportunity to practice, Kalimba. <laughs> when you say that, that totally resonates with me, and I'm <clears throat> picking up on that a lot in, in, in the life when I'm sort of not in satsang. But the, the problem I'm having is not so much dealing with people in the outside world. It's when I go back into the zombie state, like I'll be driving from A to B, and it's like, oh, look, I won't go down that street because the traffic lights in, I could wait. And so I just, and, I, and the mind says, just do it. And the other mind, no, but I won't. And it's like this chatterbox that goes on in the mind. And I allow it to really frustrate me because I know there is a better way to be. And yet something inside me still tries to control the, the patterns. And it's, I, I allow it to frustrate me and make me really sad sometimes. Yeah, but you're not in acceptance that that's how your mind is. True. You're fighting your mind still rather than accepting this is how it is. You know, if we totally accept anything, it's pretty much over. But if we're not in acceptance, if we're in resistance, well, there's the problem. Right. Well, I'm going to prioritize just accepting it, it. It is as it is. I mean, I, I write little things down occasionally to remind me. And I think I mentioned before, a couple of weeks ago, my, I brought in a new, not mantra exactly, but a catchphrase, which was, it just is. But I keep coming back to a phrase that resonates with me. There's a world of difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I, like you, was with Osho for years. I've been around other uh, awakened teachers. I've been with you a lot. When I'm around you, it's like no problems. Satsang finishes, I go out into the world, and it's like I'm back as this zombie. And, yeah, so I guess the first thing I've got to do is accept that. <laughs> Well, that's the first thing, yeah. And then play a different game. Play the game of uh, undoing the mind. I called it the game of zero. It was just a game to me that I played. Um, and it took me to higher consciousness. But see, most people play the game of wanting to be right. Um, but that game doesn't take you to higher consciousness. It actually takes you into lower consciousness. How about a game of just being open no matter what is happening? So rather than feeling what's being done or what's being said is so important, how about making openness important? Yeah. I mean, there are parts, parts in my life where I'm really happy with the way I am. It's like, as you are, I'll walk down a path going for a walk and somebody will walk the other way, either by themselves or with a dog or with a friend. And I, there's just something in me, and it's not a conscious effort. I rarely can go past a person without saying, hi, lovely day, or just giving them a smile. And it's so lovely when somebody coming towards you is looking a bit miserable and you say hello, and they look up and they smile. So things like that, 
unnatural to me, but it's the the other unconscious thing. Like as I get older, obviously my skin's getting a bit worse, and I pick at it constantly. Now my mind knows that's a stupid thing to do. It's counterproductive, and yet there'll be times when I'm picking at something, and I'm saying the conscious mind says that's not really the right thing to do. Let it go, and the hand just keeps on. And again, as I said. I really allow it to frustrate me. So as you're saying, I need to accept that first. Yeah, yeah, accept it. Just watch it and accept it. And watch it like you're watching someone else's hand. And accept it. There's so much peace in acceptance, but we try to control everything rather than accept if your hand is scratching or picking let it let it just watch it just accept it watch it and accept it like you're watching someone else's hand and you'll feel the peace straight away as soon as you move to acceptance you'll feel the peace straight away thanks fish friend um I'll start from this moment. I'm just going to make every effort to be present and to be accepting. So thank you for your feedback. Love you, Klimba. You too, this friend. The next question. How can I know if my teacher is awake? or can just hold a presence when they are with me? Spend more time with them. <laughs> Ask the people around them who are with them when you're not there. Ask the people who live with them. Ask those people. See what it's like for them. The good chance, the chance is that if uh, you've met someone who's living with someone who's awake, they're falling apart somewhere. Because when you stay around someone who's awake, the energy field around them undoes all your coping mechanisms and everything that's inside starts to leave. So there's a purging. So around awake teachers, the people who are close tend to be falling apart a bit. That's not a bad sign. <laughs> the next question has been written by Beck. It feels like I am sensing a deeper understanding of generational pain for different types of people, like the Aboriginal people, and the pain through eras of torment that haven't been healed. It's not a thought, it's a sense. Can you please shed light on this? I come back to this statement before about acceptance. Accept everything as it is, whatever it is whether it's generational pain or anything else. Our curiosity might take us into investigation, but the investigation doesn't set us free. What sets us free is acceptance of what is. You really want freedom, accept. If you just want to collect knowledge, well, collect knowledge, but it won't get you anywhere. No amount of knowledge ever awakened anyone no amount of knowledge ever healed a wound of the heart for that matter. 
On the other hand, acceptance allows us to heal the wounds of our heart, allows us to raise our consciousness levels, and allows us to wake up. Are some gurus better at their job than others, or are they all equal? <laughs> okay. If you've been trained to be a plumber, you're probably good at being a plumber. But if you haven't been trained to be a plumber and you're doing a plumbing job, you probably aren't good at it. And so some people who have woken up have done a lot of training in how to help people get free in how to undo the mind, and others have not. And so those that have done the training, have put the time in, they're probably better. But awake is awake. Awake is awareness aware of itself. And that creates a Buddha field. And those that are ready, all they need is a Buddha field. Next, we have a question from Abai. Hello, Abai. Hi, Vishrant. Uh, Vishrant, um, to, to know if a person is awake, we have to be open. Only then we can perceive, you're saying. So it's the same thing to perceive love also in this world. Some people are open enough to perceive straight away. Some people lose their minds immediately in the presence of someone who's awake and other people it takes a while because the mind is very strong and quite closed. Love is perceived in openness. And so when we're undefended, we perceive love and love is everywhere. Love is always here, it's not somewhere else. If you're open, if you're vulnerable, you'll feel love. You'll, Perceive love, that's a better way of putting it. It's up to you. How open are you? A constant talkative mind uh, is, a, is a closed mind. Can we say that? No, it's just a mind that constantly talks. <laughs> doesn't have to be closed. It can just be a mind that rattles on to itself. Closure is different, it's a form of resistance and uh, it's a defense system. We developed these defense systems when we were very young, when we were probably babies. So we could uh, deal with the pain of the world we lived in. But now as adults, if we're interested in higher consciousness, if we're interested in love, we need to find a way to take those defense systems down. And so we can be open, so we can perceive love. This is the way. Openness counts for everything. So if, the, if, a, if a talkative mind is not closeness, then um, I can be in your presence while my mind is just going on and on 
yet be open, right? Sometimes because yeah. I get feeling like that. Maybe I'm being closed if I'm continuously thinking something. It's not so. Depends what effort you put into the thinking. You know, uh, it can be very, very casual. It can be very laid back or it can be intense. There can be a lot of pressure inside. It's best to be relaxed. That's best to be restful inside yourself. How cool can you be? I have one more question. Um, so when one has Saturi, um, they, they, for that period of time, do they come to know like they are everything, they are you? Like if I get a Saturi, I am you, I am Vishrant, I am Osho. It's all, all that feeling comes in. There's different types of Satori and there's different levels of Satori. And so you may just find uh, the silence and stillness of self. You just might find a certain level of emptiness of self. You might find yourself as the universe. You may find yourself as the universe and everything is love. There's lots of different types of Satori, but just finding the emptiness, that's enough. Just finding the silence and stillness, which are symptoms of what we truly are is enough. People are looking for this wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type of experience of Satori, and they're missing what's probably here already. Yeah, right. Yes. Thank you, Shant. Thank you, Abai. Next question has been written by Shaina. Once awake, is it still possible to memorize something? Song lyrics, for example. Zippity doo da, zippity a. My oh my, what a wonderful day. I think so. Awakening doesn't stop you from being able to use your mind. It's just that the interest in dreaming disappears. The interest in living in your mind disappears. You prefer silence and stillness. The next question has been written by Chuck. Lately, I've just been, I've been just watching and maintaining a vibration of love or peace. I find it preferable and easier than dealing with thoughts or thoughts that come up. Could you please speak on that? Every endeavor should be made to discover who you are. And that would involve asking the question, what's aware of the silence and peace? What's aware? You see, we can program the mind to be passive, but if we're really going for freedom, we've got to find who we truly are, the pure beingness that we truly are. And that is done through self-inquiry. 
What's aware? What's aware of the peace? What's aware of the noise? What's aware of anything you think? What's this that's aware? Keep turning awareness back to itself until awareness locks onto itself. The mind can find peace in all sorts of different techniques, but really, peace is our nature. Find beingness is self, and there is nothing but peace. Chuck writes, could this emptiness uh, be, or stillness, be described in terms of vibration? <laughs> what does the vibration appear in? What is the background? What is the sky that this cloud appears in? You're still looking at an experience. What does the experience appear in? What is aware of it? What is the background? This is a bit of a trap actually, getting caught in looking at experience rather than what it appears in. What's aware? What's truly aware of this vibration? Next question. I've heard that spiritual teachers set up devices. What does this mean? Why would you ask such a silly question? Is that a device? Yes, it is. Did you contract when I asked you the question? Uh, yes, yes, I did. So you fell into the device's trap. Now your job is to surrender and open up. <laughs> That's wonderful. See, the thing is, there must have been a belief system there as well that uh, you shouldn't have been made a fool of or something like that. You shouldn't talk to me in that way. Now, if that belief system had been undone, there wouldn't have been a contraction. But there must be a belief system there that is protecting you. Take the belief system apart so the next time that device is fired off, there is no reaction. No reaction is surrender. So the, the embarrassment that I felt, is that a result of the belief system, like a reaction to, to the belief? Yeah. That's right. It touched you. And then you reacted to the touch rather than just allowing it. Undo yourself. Undo it all. Anything that touches you that creates a reaction, there's something that needs to be undone. There's a place you haven't shown up in your psyche yet with acceptance and love. 
Have a look and see for yourself. That's good. Thank you. The next question is from um, Utsa. Hello, Utsa. Uh, what what Posh just asked and experienced, that's what had happened to me yesterday when I was talking to you. And you said, I was telling you something and you said anything else. And I felt embarrassed, like, you know, um, I asked something, you know, I was just talking something stupid and uh, I was trying to work out what belief system was there that I contracted. I just felt like, um, I just felt unloved. Um, so, so you might have a belief system that you should be loved and that you should be respected. Wow, that's going to be a tough one for you in the world we live in because a lot of people don't love and they don't respect. So you want to be careful. <laughs> I do not have a belief system that I should be loved or that I should be respected. People do what they want to do. Yeah. I'm okay um, with it all. I know. I know. Um, and these days, like embarrassment and this type of feeling is coming a lot. Um, I feel a lot of peace when I'm doing meditation and, but suddenly something happens and it only happens in such sense. Uh, I think that is good and I am accept, I think I need to accept this and uh, because that is inside me, this feeling of embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, so probably, uh, as you are saying, I'm expecting love. It may be my low self-worth. Could be. Yeah. You have to have a look for yourself and see. Yeah, especially, but... sorry, I was just saying, especially from, like, I, I, I'm okay now these days if someone else doesn't love me or it's okay, but uh, because, you know, I love you a lot and I, I feel like I did something stupid and that's why, um, in, like in presence of you, I feel, oh, I shouldn't have done that. How stupid. No, that's not the way to go. Really. It's more like it's all okay. Whatever it is, is okay. Because the devices that are set in satsang are designed to have you go into your stuff so you can let go and find acceptance of what is. Yeah, later, later I, sorry, later I, I realized, you know, an awakened person, whatever is going to do, it can never be, you know, a mistake. If it has happened, it was for me and, and I did something, you know, I shouldn't have contracted at that time. You're my student. My job is to help you learn surrender and acceptance so you can be prepared for enlightenment. And so I'm going to do that. 
I'm, <laughs> and sometimes I set little traps for people so they can actually practice acceptance and surrender. Yes. This, these devices have been used for 20,000, 10,000, 20,000 years in India by the gurus. It's a methodology that helps students find where they're still caught so they can free themselves up in that area. It's really wonderful, Vishan. Thank you. Thanks. It's a gift, my dear. It's a gift. Yeah, it is. Anything from you, from awakened person, is a gift. Probably at that time, you know, because I am under the influence, like mind just reacts. But yeah, but probably more and more in your presence, it will open up. And you are correct in assuming that it was done deliberately. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thank you for satsang. Good to see you, Bravehearts, here today.